0: Luke chapter 13, the title of our message today is, uh, The Jesus Who Heals the Bent Over. The the Jesus Who Heals uh, the Bent Over. Again, I want to welcome all those watching by live stream uh, as well. Great to have you here. So we're in the middle of a series, and um, we did a couple of messages. We talked about the five values that make us, or distinctives, that make us New Life Fellowship and the, the way that we do discipleship. and It's the combination of these five that provides a very powerful framework of how we understand following Jesus. And so we talked about monastic to the left there. which gave a message a couple of weeks ago on slowing down. That whole place of slowing down for God is so central to our whole lives. And then a couple of messages on the multiracial value for us as a church, bridging racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. Uh, and today I want to move to... Uh, our third distinctive, and that's emotional health. Again, they all overlap, but for the sake of, you know, a, a series, we're segmenting them uh, here today. But let me begin uh, with a story about Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you may know the name. Uh, in, on July 30th of 1967, she went swimming with some friends uh, to the beach, and uh, she dove off, uh, I guess, a, a cliff or a hill, and and she hit herself in that diving accident, she became a quadriplegic uh, and has for the last 50 years. What's interesting is today, she leads an international uh, ministry around the world where she actually advocates for people with disabilities. Uh, And this year, uh, she was recently interviewed because it marks the 50th anniversary uh, of the accident. And the interviewer asked her a question. He said, it's been 27 years since the passage of the American with Disabilities Act called ADA. How have you seen cultural attitudes change toward those with disabilities? And it was her answer that struck me. Here's what she said. We were all together at the White House when the president signed the ADA legislation into law. But afterwards, one of our leaders, Paul Hearn, uh, who himself has a severe disability, he proposed a toast. And here's what he said. This new law, the Americans with Disability Act, will, will uh, mean a mandate of greater access into areas of employment, uh, in public accommodations, and transportations for those of us with disabilities. It means employee, employers will now hire qualified individuals with disabilities. It means restaurants will have ramps. It means buses eventually will have mechanical lifts. And then he said this. But this law is not going to change the employer's heart and this law is not going to change the heart of the maitre d at the restaurant and this law will not change the heart of the bus driver and so he raised his glass and he said here's to changed hearts and i just loved it because uh, he brought out the fact of yes as we talked about last week we are committed to bringing justice on a whole into society, that people are treated with dignity in life. And Rich talked about that last week. But we recognize at the same time that only God can change a human heart. And so as we look at the Gospels, we see Jesus deeply transforming individuals. And uh, today we're going to pick up on one tremendous story uh, out of Luke chapter 13, verse 10, about a woman who is bent over. So, Let's let's, uh, read it together here. Let me read it out loud here. I want you to try to, again, place yourself in church on this particular uh, Sabbath as Jesus is teaching from the front. Verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant or angry, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, this synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. All right, so I want you to look at this picture here. Um, Okay, the verse 10 is a key text here. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman's there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over. So I want to get this image of bent-overness. And here's a picture of a woman bent over. Now, this woman was crippled for 18 years. In her bent-overness, it's apparently irreversible. Uh, It's permanent. She's in bondage uh, from this crippling disease. And basically, she's used to it. And in fact, she's not looking for a healing. She shows up to church. And uh, the synagogues, not, nobody, no one in the group is looking for a healing. No one in the community is looking for a healing for this lady. And I want you to notice how she's looking down. Because her whole vision of life is constricted. It's narrow. I mean, she can only look down. She can see about, you know, 18 inches in front of her, maybe a foot. She can't see the big picture. She can't see the sky. She can't see to the right or to the left very broadly. And uh, her her existence is very limited. It's very partial, and I'll use the word, it's very constricted. And so, again, it's been 18 years in a bodily, but not just a bodily prison, an emotional prison. A spiritual, a relational prison as well. Now, I just imagine... Jesus is standing up here... preaching and teaching. And now understand that in, in ancient Judaism... the men were you know, in the room. The women are behind a curtain. So, so this woman, Jesus sees her. Now, maybe she's walking by a door. You know, over there in the far right. And he sees her. Or maybe... He sees her in the back, in the women's section. And he sees her, and I want you to catch this too, it's a very public setting. I mean, I mean, he could have just pulled her over after the meeting's over and go into an alley and heal her in a very private way and not cause a big commotion. But he does it purposely in public, like in front of everybody, so we all can see it. And, and he's, he's, understand that he's, he's in the midst of teaching. Like me, I'm giving a sermon right now. It's like, this is like a really important time. Like this, is, this is like God's word. This is, this is like holy. But Jesus stops it. I mean, he stops it for this one woman. And uh, he sees her. What's it called? He sees her, you know, eyes of compassion. Uh, and he interrupts himself. Now, I, I just try to imagine the woman. He calls her forward. Like, try to imagine this. Like, she's hobbling over towards the front, okay? In front of all these men who have major attitudes towards women. And, you know, she's hobbling forward. And I, if I'm her, you know what I'd be thinking? Like, you know, like, like, what did I do wrong? Like, you know, why am I in trouble for something, you know? And, but she comes forward with all those eyes fixed on her and she moves forward to Jesus, as he calls her. And, uh, you know... I mean, if I was her, I I don't know if I'd even come up, show up. But, But, you see, sometimes, like that woman, we are living our usual lives, bent over, constricted, limited, but we're so used to it, we don't even think about it. We're not even looking for a healing. We're not even looking for a change. We're just going along, hobbled over, bent over. And so the passage is, she's bent over, could not straighten at all, and then it says, you know, when Jesus saw her, First, first, he sees her. I want you to know the four things. He sees her. Now, just picture his Jesus's face, all right, for a moment. He sees that woman, and now it's a it's a gaze, but it's a, it's a loving gaze. There's no shaming. There's no condemning. There's no scolding. You know, how'd you get in this mess? You know, he he looks in her eyes. And his eyes are directly focused on this woman. And he sees the pain, not just of being physically bent over, he sees the pain underneath the pain. And then he calls her forward. Uh, And he calls her forward to come closer. It's a tremendous image. Because... It's, it's, that's, what, you know, that's what prayer is. You can define prayer like prayer is allowing Jesus to see you and responding to his voice, inviting you to come closer. And the miracle is God's heart for every one of us in this room. God, God is, is so God that he sees you as an individual, as, as one person. And he has this holy, and the word is a loving gaze. You know, the only gaze I got as a kid that I remember is, you're a pain in the neck. It's very hard to receive a loving gaze from Jesus when you've got these messages deep inside of you. And, he, and, and that the God of the universe gives you his full attention any moment you'll pay attention to his attention. And, and she responds. No, she did not say, what do you want? I'm not coming. Hey, hey, man. You don't know. I mean, she hobbles forward, man. That's beautiful. And then he speaks to her. And he says, Jesus said to her, you know, woman, you're set free from your infirmity. And he has things he wants to say to you and things he wants to say to me. And then, finally, he puts his hands on her. And, and, and a tremendous picture of discipleship because it, it, it's, he's... he's there's prayer, there's a the word, he, he speaks to her, there's the discipleship piece, but then there's power, you know, in the prayer piece, as he lays hands on her. And it's a great picture of discipleship, and, and, and boom, you know, she stands straightened up. And, and what's so fascinating here is, is Jesus breaks all the tradition of his culture at that day, the religious culture. I mean, he, he, first of all, it's, just, it's a scandal what he's doing, he, you know, he stops the service, it's a woman. You're not supposed to talk to a woman in public. You're not supposed to touch a woman ever in public. And it's the Sabbath. You don't heal on Sabbath either. So, but he, he wants you to catch this. It's all Jesus' initiative. He initiates this encounter. You may not be initiating with Jesus, but he's initiating with you. He's coming after you. You're not even looking for anything. And for the first time in 18 years, this woman straightens up. Oh my gosh. I mean, straightens up. Imagine, boom, and you know she takes a deep breath, and then she, you know, she lifts her arms up, and you know she starts praising God and giving thanks. I mean, oh my! So it's it's physical, like oh my gosh. Uh, but Jesus has got more for her, as you'll see in just a minute. But then then what happens is the synagogue, um, the synagogue rulers gets upset, and the word is indignant. The guy in charge, and it says he's indignant because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, so he's angry. And, uh, you know, you shouldn't be doing this on the Sabbath, blah, blah, blah. He gives this argument. And um, if I was Jesus, you know what I would do at this point? He, he said, you know, Jesus responds to him. But I would say, if, I, I, if he says, you know, he's angry because Jesus healed. If I was Jesus, I'd say, you know what? Let me show you a thing or two. Hey, bring me every si- line up. Boom, healing you, crippled, paralytic, you blind, 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 blah, blah. Yeah, how do you like that? You know, I, I, I'd, use a little pow- I'd power over the guy. You know, put, put him in his place. Who are you talking to, you know? You know, I'd be like, or if I was Jesus, honestly, I'd power over the guy in, intellectually. I'd use my wisdom in him. I mean, do you realize Jesus wrote the Old Testament? I mean, I mean, he, I mean, he knows it. He knows the meaning underneath the meaning. I, I'd say, let's just quote the Book of Exodus, all right? Then I'll follow it with Leviticus. I, I would just start quoting scripture. You think you know the Bible? You know, I wrote it. I would just you shut up and sit down. You know, like I who are you talking to me? I mean, I'd be like, but what's so amazing is. Jesus in this text because he is so gentle and protective of this individual this woman whom he is freeing right now from being bent over and he's not finished with her yet and uh, you know he responds he answers them and says you hypocrites should not this woman a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years be set free now I want you to catch it first of all you know He calls her a daughter of Abraham. Now, do you understand? Jesus is not just freeing her physically. He is going to free her emotionally, spiritually, relationally. I mean, she undoubtedly sees herself as inferior, her self-image of who who she even is. And Jesus knew that she deeply needed to hear words of respect, of intimacy, of affirmation, of tenderness, of worth. The only time in the New Testament Jesus calls any woman... A daughter of Abraham is right here. And, and again, we're not living in you know, ancient Jewish culture. That is, that's a title we can't even appreciate. Daughter of the great Abraham? Like, like, he affirms her in front of everybody. He knows she needs to hear it in front of the whole crowd. That's got plenty of attitude toward her. And, uh, I mean, I just, I just imagine her waking up the next day. Seriously. I, I picture her, she gets out of bed, and like, she's not hunched over. She goes, Wow. And then she goes to the bathroom and she gets her, like, toothpaste on the third shelf, you know. (laughs) Palestinian toothpaste, of course, you know. And she brushes her teeth. Just just like the freedom. Because she's not bent over anymore. But Jesus also speaks here the fact of she is bent over. And we are bent over ultimately because it's demonic. That there are demonic, satanic forces that want to keep her bent over. And want to keep you bent over. And he identifies the source beneath the source. As Satan's kept her bound for eight years, and I'm now setting her free as he lays hands on her. And you see, it is not God's will for you to be bent over or for me to be bent over. And God's come to heal you. And so if you really study the passage if we had time, the whole system is toxic. Do you understand? The system, that the religious system she's in, is keeping her bent over. It's not fingering. And Jesus goes after the whole community. That's why he makes it a public healing, because he wants to break this bondage that's in the community. Look, some of you know it's like it's cruel. It happens in families. It happens in churches. It happens in institutions. And some of you know, I had some folks talk to me this from their places of work, you know, that keep them bent over and treated like they were commodities. And Jesus brings the power of God to her personal life, but he also brings it to the community. And he brings it to us. So, so the, the, she, again, she she's a believer. You know said she's, she's in church. She's in church every week. She's listening to sermons. She's singing, but she's bent over. So here's a question: You know, where are you bent over and constricted? Where are you bent over and constricted? Now Jesus saw this woman's bent overness. He saw it. And Jesus sees yours uh, today. So let me give you some examples of what that might look like. For some, we're bent over because we've lost our voice. To actually assert ourselves and walk in our dreams and what God has for us. Some of us are bent over. We can't even speak up in disagreements or conflicts. I had someone say to me recently in the Emotional and healthy Relationships course, My whole life, I have never asserted myself in a conflict. I've always kept my mouth shut. We had a nice conversation about where did you lose your voice to be that bent over and now being in your adulthood and the implications of that for her life. Some of us are bent over from shame because of failures in our lives or addictions or divorces or sins of the past and we carry shame like bent over people and it informs everything we do, every decision we make, and all our relationships. Some of us are bent over because we're chronologically 30, 40, 50, 60, but emotionally we're nine. Some of us are bent over because we're trying to achieve and make an impression in the world. And not just by picking up likes, and Facebook followers, Instagram followers. We're like trying to get another degree, and another position, make a lot more money, be well known. But it's a bent overness, trying to find a self in what other people think about us. Some of us are bent over because English is not our first language. And we always feel like we're second. Or some of you are bent over because you came from another country, you feel like I never quite fit in here. Or, or, Or you didn't finish college, or even high school. Jerry and I watched a documentary Uh, a few weeks ago, and it had to do with uh, people who were uh, abused, uh, actually in church settings, in that Roman Catholic church setting. And this woman was now, you know, it's a few decades later, and she had a statement and she was talking about not just her abuse but her life. And she had this three-word phrase that I just, I stopped the video. I said, let me just write this down. And as she's explaining her life, she says, Because of the past, I live small. The phrase, I live small. In other words, my whole life is constricted because of what happened. And so I have a very narrow, small life. I thought, what an expression of being bent over on the inside. Many of us are bent over from our family of origins, you know, growing up. I know, I, I know I've been. And I mean, I, I come from a family of origin. With my own deep well of abuse and those messages, you know, that you're no good, you're a loser, uh, you better prove yourself, you know, don't be yourself. You only exist to make other people happy and to work. And yes, I was getting degrees, I was accomplishing some things, uh, but I was bent over emotionally. And uh, it was a journey. Roberta Bondi was a theologian and a writer, and she talks about her being raised in Kentucky in this kind of a narrow church environment, more fundamentalist in the rural parts of Kentucky. And she says, a life of growing up in this, she says, I felt as though I stood perpetually under the judgment of the whole universe, that my very being was so sinful that God was enraged. And she says, so I lived even into adulthood as a Christian bent over. Of God's anger. You know, I was with a, uh, a guy in his 40s recently, and I was, he's a Christian in the church, just like this woman bent over is in the church. And he was telling me about his financials uh, being a mess. And I said to him, why don't you hire a financial advisor? You know, someone who gets trained in this and can help you think through your, you know, your, your portfolio, your future, and retirement, and how you're going to manage your money. Like, like, and he goes, oh, no, well, we, we have somebody, he says. I I, got, and I, said, well, I said, well, what do you think of this person? He goes, oh, she's awful. I said, well, she's giving us all the wrong advice. I've lost tens of thousands of dollars. I'm like, okay. All right, so just, you know, get somebody else, obviously. I, well, I said, is she trained? He goes, not really, but, she, you know, she was a CPA or whatever. I said, no, but, okay, so get somebody else. He goes, I can't. I go, why? He goes, well, it's my, it's my wife's, you know, sister-in-law. I said, I know, I know, but. But she stinks, all right? She's, she's no good. I mean, I'm sure she's a nice person, but she stinks at this. I mean, hi, he, goes, I can't, I, he goes, I can't have that conversation with my wife. And so I said, to, I said to myself, this guy is going to church, faithful, lifting his hands up in worship, but he is so bent over from whatever happened in his past that he's unable to have a difficult conversation with his wife And I played it out for him. I said, "Do you realize what's going to happen by the time you're 60 and 70? Do you not that these? It's already tens of thousands. It's going to be. It could be a million dollars you've lost because you can't have a conversation with your wife." I said, and I I realized he'd never gotten discipled properly, and he is so bent over, and he's, he's he's enraged, he's angry at who? Everybody but himself, obviously. But then, you know, the wider culture and the society bends us over and uh, with falsehoods. So last week at New Life, we had a seminar uh, for latter rain ministry, which is folks 50 and old, older. And uh, the, it was titled Aging Matters. And really the goal of the seminar was to do a discipleship of growing older, a discipleship of how the Bible looks at growing older. And um, because, you know, in the culture, you know, once you're in your 50s or 60s, you know, like, get out of the way, retire, we gotta get some young people in here, you know? And uh, most pe- people just end up retiring. I'm retired and no, no sense of purpose in their lives or vision. And we talked about a biblical understanding of growing older, which is, as you get older, you actually get better and wiser, and that God has called people in their, like Abraham at 75 and Moses at 80, and God has turned many, many people's lives upside down in their 60s, 70s, and 80s in scripture and in history, and uh, that we don't ever retire we just transition from paid employment to other ways that we're gonna serve Christ now. We're actually in a wonderful position and that our best years of our lives are actually in our mid-60s and mid-70s and then thirdly, our mid-50s and that the culture's message to you that you're finished and washed up is a lie from hell. And, and <laughs> Why is it only people over 50 who are clapping right now? <laughs> I thought, okay. but, but we can be bent over by the messages of the culture that tell us what it's like to grow older. You know, I read an article um, just a few days ago about uh, Tinder. And I can't tell you how many people are being bent over by the wrong messages of apps and culture and technology. And this article, Tinder is a Night, talks about how hookup, for the first time really in our history, hookup culture hooking up for just a one-night stand, has, has now come into the apps world. And it has changed, dramatically, relationships for folks in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, singles. And so with Tinder, Hinge happening, using your phone and swiping, that basically finding a sex partner for an evening is as easy as getting a cheap flight to Florida. And so they're interviewing all these people in this article. And a 20-something said this, working in Manhattan, said, it's like ordering seamless, which apparently is an unlined food delivery service. But now you're ordering a person. And the extreme casualness uh, of sex in the age of Tinder has led so many women in particular to feeling so devalued and dehumanized and is so scarred, and some men, but is so damaging people. And if you don't do it, something's wrong with you. So what happened, the culture's bending people over. Because let me just say, if you're single here, please don't do it. Like just don't participate in this lunacy because it will bend you over. Because you're not a commodity and you're not a thing and you're sure not an animal. You're, you know, and, and your sexuality is beautiful and it's good. And it's, it's, it's to be used in the proper context, but you do not want to let the culture bend you over and cripple you, you know, for your life. And so there are so many ways of being trapped. There are so many ways of being constricted. There are so many ways of being bent over. It is not God's will that you remain bent over. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8 to disarm the powers and principalities of the cross. He's risen from the dead to break the power of the demonic in our lives. It's the heart of the gospel. So let's just distinguish for a moment between event and process. So when you come to Jesus uh, and you receive Christ, who who lived, died, rose from the dead on our behalf, and, and we receive Christ, we become a Christian, and the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us, we're now completely forgiven, we stand before God in the record of Jesus, that is called the gospel, that's the great news. And we're now adopted as sons and daughters. We're now daughter of Abraham, son of God, daughter of God. It's a miracle. It's a remarkable. And that's the beginning of now the Christian life of discipleship. Following, to be a Christian is to be a disciple and follower of Jesus. But, so in a sense, I, I come to Christ and so, yes, I stand up. But this being standing up straight from being bent over is the life of discipleship. So in other words, uh, it's a process, not simply an event. And so, can you be a Christian and be bent over? And the answer is absolutely. I know it well. Here's what one writer said. She was doing prayer, worship, scripture, and all the spiritual disciplines, but here's what she said about her life. She goes, how do you rejoice in the Lord when you can't stop crying? She goes, how do you forgive when you don't know how to stop replaying an insult in an endless loop in your mind? She goes, how do you die to self when you're not even sure who that self is? How do you thank God for his goodness when feeling good makes you feel guilty? And how do you thirst for eternal life when the only thing that appeals to you is death? And that's why we say in New Life Fellowship that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. That you can't disconnect the two, that it's not possible to be spiritually mature and be emotionally bent over and crippled. And so the tragedy is if we're not aware of our own bent overness. We actually pass it on to everybody around us. And we actually inflict it on people without... We're trying to help them. We're actually inflicting on them our own bent-overness. And we're unaware of it. You know, we have our own inner prisons. And so it's a, it's a life journey of getting unbent over. Last Thursday, I was here uh, in the office. And, um, you know, I have certain messages or ways of doing life that go back in my family for Generations. Rushing, craziness, anxiety, yelling, screaming, all that stuff, okay? We have family business. You know, we, you know, we say Jesus lives in your heart, but Grandpa's in your bones, all right? And so it's a slow process of Jesus in our hearts to permeate and actually change our bone structure. But I actually fell back, for, I, I, I was in the office, and I had a few hours in the office, but I had, I had just unconsciously, for a variety of reasons, I basically set up, five, I had five hours of work to do in three. And so I was in the office, and I'm like a, I'm like a crazy man. You know, phone calls, you know. And, 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 you know, and Jerry's in the other room watching all this, you know. And, and, and uh, she sees me totally manic. And I'm, I'm aware that my body's in a bad place. Like, I know this is bad, but I'm thinking, i just got to get through it. I'll be fine at 5 o'clock, you know. It'll all be over soon. But, of course, we get in the car, and the first thing Jerry says to me, she goes, are you aware of what you've been like for the last three hours? Your tone of voice, you know, I'm like. I mean, I like I. Of course, I, I knew, you know. I was like, oh God, you know. But I, I, I fell back, to being bent over, you got that. And I just fell back into an old pattern, of uh, being bent over. And and here I was, I, I was meditating on my you know midday office. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. You know, He leads me beside still waters. You know, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Ah, you know. But I'm a madman, you know. And <laughs> after that, and so. So it's it's this is discipleship. We can we can get straightened out and fall back, and that's why we're we're constantly on an ongoing conversion experience. So that's why at New Life Fellowship, we are so committed to what we call these emotionally healthy discipleship courses. That these two courses form the framework of how we do discipleship at New Life, and because they they basically take you into your bent overness. From your family of origin, from your traumas of your history, leads you into some biblical themes like grief and loss and, and walls, and, and it gets you to, to God, and then and how to do relationships differently. You know, how to do conflict and how to, do, how to assert yourself and how to speak honestly and freely. And, and so, uh, this is, that this is the heart of how we function at New Life. If you're new here, that these are foundational to live a life that you're straightened out. And actually, so with these two courses, one, love God, love others. It's a lot. It's a package. It's like, oh, my God. It's like, absolutely. We're talking changing generations of bent-overness. And, uh, but the core of it is getting to Jesus. And we talked about this woman. Prayer for her was responding to, to the initiative of Jesus and coming closer to him. And so the core of the courses is learning stillness and silence and 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 solitude, and loving union, and rhythms, and listening, and practicing his presence, and having a firsthand relationship with Jesus. Because it's Jesus who changes us. It's Jesus who frees us. It's Jesus who straightens us up. But we've got to get to Jesus. And so the core for us as a church is, we got to get everyone in this room, we got to get to Jesus. Because he's inviting us, each of us individually. And, uh, Uh, And and so we want to move you, if you look at this this nice little chart here, it's a way we look at how we want to move from bent-overness in our relationships to standing straight. Now you look on the left from brokenness, this is, is, you can see how much of this is right now in your life, brokenness of defensiveness, low self-awareness, isolation, blaming, anger, fear, self-absorption, addiction, dishonesty, that's bent-overness. But we come to Jesus, now part of our discipleship is moving through Jesus to a place where we're approachable, we have high self-awareness, we're not reactive, we take responsibility, we delight, we have courage, we offer self as a gift to people, we're free, we're honest. But that's discipleship. And so here, as we look at this passage, Jesus sees her. He calls her forward, and he says to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And he puts his hands on her, and immediately she's straightened up. So let me ask you yourself, right now, Jesus sees you. Wherever you are right now in your journey, spiritually, I want you to just, he sees you. I want you to picture his expression of loving, it's a loving gaze for you. He sees you and then he calls you. Calls your name. Hey, uh, Chris, Joe, Susan, and he calls you forward. Come to me, come. Once you hear that voice, he says, come. Allow him to draw you closer. And he says, and then he speaks to her. He goes, "He he speaks to you. And he says, this woman, you're set free from your infirmity. He's got some things he wants to say to you as you come closer. And then he wants to put his hands on you. It's a great picture of discipleship. Again, you got the word and you got power, both. So, yes, we we believe in the importance of courses and sermons and small groups and teaching. It's very important. But we also believe in new life at the same time. We believe in power of prayer, the power of God, and it's both and. And Jesus does that both for this woman, and she straightens up. So let me do this. Let me invite, um, I want to invite the worship team to come forward and also the, the, the prayer teams. And I want to close with a story, Uh, again, I want to close with the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, Because, again, she's been a quadriplegic for 50 years. And without the use of her hands. And she actually became, during the two years of rehabilitation, she learned to paint with her mouth. And she actually became a quite well-known, famous painter. And doing art shows and everything else. But she has, over the last 50 years, this woman has created a ministry called Johnny and Friends that serves people with disabilities all over the world. I mean, tens of thousands of people. She's written 50 books. She's got a radio show five days a week that goes to a million people. Uh, she, when there's a hurricane in Texas, there's a hurricane that affects Puerto Rico, there's an earthquake in Mexico, do you know what? Johnny is sending teams and wheelchairs to those places. To the disabled. But this woman is free. And I mean, I've learned so much from her, reading her books, 50 books over the years. Uh, She's been married since 1982. And she celebrates her 50 years with God in that wheelchair. She may be bent on the outside, but she is not bent on the inside. Some of you are not bent on the outside, but you are bent on the inside. I'll say that again. She's not bent on the outside. I mean, she is bent on the outside, but she is not bent on the inside. Some of us are not bent on the outside, but we are very bent on the inside. So, prayer teams, you get set up here. I, w- I want to lead you in a, a meditation. I want to invite you to receive the laying on of hands in just a few minutes. Because do you understand, if, just imagine being straightened up whatever is bending you over Jesus healing you what new hopes and possibilities now come into your life what might be for your life if you allow Jesus to straighten you up and you can actually see the big picture you can see the sky you can see to the right and you can see to the left our God does miracles and that's why I believe in the power of prayer. So I'm going to ask you, just close your eyes for a moment. And even those up front, who are going to do the praying. As you close your eyes, let me invite you to let your whole body quietly rest in the presence of God. And take a deep, slow breath. Breathe in and breathe out. And when you're ready, ask God to show you If there is a constriction in your life, is there an area where you feel bent over, cramped, held in, held down in any way, where you feel trapped or unfree? Now with God, I want you to look quietly at that inner prison, the heavy burden, and just put into words to God what you feel. And if you can, name it. Where do you feel your burden comes from? Is it a relationship, your family, a childhood wound? Is it fear, a damaged trust, betrayal? a gift within you that you know is buried. Maybe it's your whole self-image, how you see yourself. Or maybe you don't even know what it is, and why you feel so bent over. But God has you here today because he wants to free you. He wants to release you into new life. He wants to open that prison door for you. He wants to take that heaviness off you. So the Lord sees you with His loving gaze and He calls you closer. And He wants to speak to you. So let me invite you all to stand right now. So we're going to sing. And as we do, we have prayer teams up there on the the balcony as well as here in the uh, first row in in the front of the church. And if you're in live stream, I want to encourage you to receive prayer through that screen. But we're going to invite you to come forward to receive prayer. And God met people so powerfully first service, and they're going to lay hands on you in the name of Jesus, and we're the body of Christ, and to receive power over that bent over part of your life. And the worship team is going to lead us in prayer. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you. Fill this place with your spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. So please come. And the balcony is open as well. Through the eyes of man. It seems there's so much